Let us now turn to Colossians chapter 3, where I'll read the first seven verses. Colossians 3, 1 through 7. If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on the things of the earth. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Therefore, put to death your members, which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience, in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. Let us pray. Our Father and our God, we pray that we might rightly understand these simple words, that they might be a brightness to us and an encouragement. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We come to this third chapter in Colossians, and uh, we see the outline that you have in your bulletins of the sermon. The title of the sermon is Power Union, Power Life. There's a symmetry between the life that we have in Christ and the powerful life in Christ that we are supposed to call ourselves to live so that the one touches the other. Now, in this book of Colossians, Paul has been focusing on Christ from beginning to end in a way that, I mean, the, the Christ is in the background of all the books of the Bible, but in an overt, up-in-front-of-your-face kind of way, we see that he has especially, Paul has been especially highlighting the idea of our Lord Jesus Christ to us in this book. And so last week's message, we saw how Christology, or the study of Christ, which is essentially what Christology means, theology is the study of God, Christology is the study of Christ, it is the, uh, the systematizing or the understanding of Christ in a broader way, in a fuller way. Just like theology is the broader study of God, the nature of God, attributes, Trinitarian nature of God, that sort of thing. So Christology is a study of Christ, and uh, Paul studied, first of all, the, the essence of Christ early on, and then he's been studying the power or the application of the works of Christ in the last chapter, and now this one. And so... Uh, in chapter in chapter two, at the very end, in applying Christ, he he argued that if we're really in Christ, then we're we're focused on the big thing. He is the Christ is the center, the core of our understanding of our focus as Christians. And if we're really focused on Christ, then we don't have a lot of time to um, to study or to focus on. Uh, all the little things that pointed to Christ, like in the Old Testament, most of the, the days and the ceremonies and the celebrations and that sort of thing, they all pointed to Christ. But now 
Paul argued in, in Colossians, Christ has come. So the old things were shadows that pointed to Christ. Christ is here. Why he would say to the old, why, why he would say to the people in Colossae, do you get distracted by all of the incidentals? And even when we we talk about the things today, we have to remember that Christ is our focus. I was asked before the service a question about uh, Halloween and Halloween celebrations, and uh, and uh, I said, well, you know, uh, the one thing we we do want to focus on is that that Christ is our core. I said, Allah, last week's message, and so I said, we we all have different ways that we're trying to apply that in our lives, and so that relates to how we behave on Halloween, uh, what we do, that sort of thing. But I said the most important thing is to keep focusing on Christ because if you keep focusing on Christ, if you keep your, if you keep plugged into the battery of Christ, the energy that comes out of that battery will all be good stuff. It won't be cluttered with a lot of other things, and it will it will tend to correct all the other dimensions of your life, all the other ethical dimensions of your life, so that um, it's best to it's best to have Him as the key of our life. And that's, of course, true in terms of Christian liberty. Um, uh, now, the, the, the one, a key here that I want to bring out at the very beginning of the message that, that applies to the message is that you'll notice here that in Colossians that Paul doesn't speak very much about using the name Jesus. He uses, he uses the name Christ much more. We saw at the very beginning of this text, chapter 3, if you then were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above. What you need to see is that the historical Jesus came for a specific purpose, and uh, that purpose was a complex of things that God wanted to work out. He worked them out. As he worked them out, the historical Jesus is still referenced in our prayers and in our lives, but we see, we see also that the, the risen Christ, the idea of the risen Christ who has completed all the, the deeds and the works of the earthly Jesus, we see that this, this notion of Christ it's a bit, a bit more of an abstraction than the, than the historical Jesus that we read about in the Gospels. But you'll notice that throughout, throughout the Pauline epistles, you'll see this phenomenon going on so that, that um, the, the, the dimensions of Christ, the process of Christ, the system of Christ is focused on more and more. It's all, it's all founded on the historical life of Jesus. Without that, we have no... We have no fulfillment in Christ. But there is, in terms of the Trinity and the way we look at our Lord Jesus, there is this transition and this, this development, this progress in the work of Christ. So that um, in our prayers, we can, we can pray to our Lord Jesus. But even there, you see, we're adding the term Lord for focusing on the idea that he wasn't just a human being, but he was also very God of God. And so uh, we see that in, in as Paul develops the book of Colossians. So last week we, he looked at how if you really understand Christ, then you're going you're gonna to want to
prefer Christ and his liberty, Christian liberty. This week we're going to see where he's going to argue that if you if you really have Christ in the in the original sense of getting saved and, and being made right with God, if you if you really have Christ in that fashion, you're also going to want to be sanctified. You're going to want the work of Christ to work out, work its way out through your system, through your life, so that everything you see and everything you do, whether you eat or you drink, you are drinking, you're doing that unto the Lord. So this is a bit of theology. You see here where uh, the, the Bible, the New Testament, is not just about the history, but it's how the history develops. It's how the, what, the, what the history means as it develops. And we see that even in uh, the person of our Lord Jesus Christ. So that brings us to verse 1. And it says then, if then you were raised with Christ. Now this is a reference to being being dead in Christ on one hand, and then being raised in Christ in new life. So it's a reference to conversion. It's a reference to faith, which which is the fruit of conversion, where we first believe because all of a sudden we, we confess that Jesus was raised again from the dead. And we confess that that is central to our lives, to our hopes. Because as he was raised, so we hope we will be raised. So Paul says, if then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is. Where did Christ go? Christ rose again from the dead. Then he ascended on the, to the right hand of God the Father. Is that good? Yes. Maybe we ought to think then where he is, we ought to be in some sense. That's what Paul is arguing here. If Christ has raised you from the dead, if, if, you've been, if you're reborn in the Lord Jesus Christ, why wander around lost in this world? Connect yourselves with the Lord, Jesus Christ. Draw power from him on high. He is risen up, which is a display of power. And now he sits at the right hand of God the Father, and the Father bequeaths him anything he asks, anything he wants. The Father gives him. The Son has a key to the Father's heart. That's why we don't need Mary or the angels or any other thing. The key to the Father's heart is Jesus. He's at the right hand of the Father. And so, the Lord, so Paul is arguing with us, if you've been raised with Christ, then set your mind... Uh, uh, seek those things which are above where Christ is. And then he says in verse 2, set your mind on the things above, not on the things of the earth. One of the processes of sanctification involves the mind, the brain. Whatever you think about, your, your life is going to focus more and more on that. That's why one of the keys to marriage counseling when I do marriage counseling, one of the keys to marriage counseling is to simply spend time together. If you have a husband who's gone from the house 60 hours a week and the wife who's doing her things and they're never together, they're never working on collective things, they're going to move apart. That's just a common, uh, common phenomenon of life. And so if we want to be close to the Lord, if we want to be close to his benefits, if we want the sanctified life, we cannot do it on the run. 
We have to spend time with each other. We have to make times for intimacy. And when we have devotions, when we, when we speak to each other about something that we thought about during the day that had to do with the Lord, that means our minds were set above. We, we, we were thinking of the higher things. We were thinking of, where, of the, the life of Christ as he now is in his ascended uh, situation, uh, position. And as we think of him in that position uh, and meditate upon that, it, 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 it's like a, a marination to our hearts where the Holy Spirit works upon us and makes us more, makes husbands more like their wives want them to be, makes wives more like their husbands want them to be. But if we're running a separate life, if we're living a separate life from Christ, then we're not going to be very much like him. So Paul in the imperative says, seek the things which are above, and then he says, set your mind on the things which are above, not on the things of the earth. Now the most powerful dimension, above, which is above, which we can set our minds on, is that we are hid with Christ above. We are with him. We're also here. There's a kind of a, 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 a schizoid split in our lives between the here and the now and the, and the there. And so our Lord Jesus says, set your minds above. Set your minds above where you are with Christ. What are we with Christ? Well, as we're united with Christ, we are united with his righteousness and his goodness. He's constantly representing us before the Father, not as Joe Schmo or, you know, fickle Freddy or, you know, foolish somebody else. He's, he's representing us before the Father as we are in Christ. So you take your name, you know, uh, uh, whatever it is here this morning, take your name and say, I'm here, but I'm also there. Christ is taken, I'm united with Christ, and because of my union with Christ, and he's there, I'm united with him up there, even though I'm still here. And, and up there, I see myself. I no longer see myself as that guy that loses his temper or that guy that has uh, f faulty fears of the things of this world, who's afraid of martyrdom, who's afraid of this, who's afraid of that. We're not people of fear. We're because we're united with Christ above. And up there, we are completed saints. We are totally sanctified in Christ up there. Set your minds on the things which are above. Set your minds on the Christ who is above. Because if you are hid with him, you are both there and here. Now, this is a tremendous propulsion for the Christian life. Our country has been very much involved. The commercial, the industrial, commercial industrial part of the country has been tremendously involved with... Um, Space travel recently, in the last couple of years, we've got private companies that are now sending people into space. It's happened a couple of times in the last three weeks. And in doing that, they've had to really study the propulsion, the power that it takes to get us off of this earth and into the, uh, into the heavens, into the, 
space, uh, the stratosphere around the Earth. And then, of course, there's been the technology to, to bring us back and to reuse these rockets, which they're doing now. Originally, the rockets, they'd go up, you know, millions, billions of dollars, and then they'd, they'd go up about a thousand feet, and then they'd fall to the Earth, <laughs> total trash. But with the study that's gone on, as they, they study the propel, how to get the, the rocket propelled, propelled up, and then how to save some of that so that the rocket can, can come down with parachutes or whatever, they found a way to revolve these things. Well, if we have the propulsion of Christ, if we tap into the strength of Christ, that's a tremendous thing. And I don't, uh, I look at my own life, I look at others, I don't see us being plugged into Christ half as much as we should. I just don't see us setting our minds on who we are above. It will help us uh, as we ought. Now, part of that is in the modern day, in Christianity, there's a very low uh, development or, or a very small focus on the Christian mind. So much of the focus is on the, just the, the they use the word spiritual and it's totally undefined. The exhortation is to be more spiritual. What is that? What does that mean? And how do we get more spiritual? Well, most people think they get more spiritual by feeling mostly ghostly, by going in prayer and go, Ooh, you know, I'm feeling the wavelengths, the divine wavelengths that are kind of upon my body and my, my mind, my heart. But this is the, the this is the God's sanctification here in Colossians chapter 3 and places in Ephesians and Philippians where he talks like this, where he tells us to, to take our mind and to feed off of Christ. You see, if you feed off of yourself, as you see yourself represented above, you see yourself uh, in, in uh, shimmering light. You see yourself in close proximity to the Father. You see yourself wrapped in wonder. And then when you come back to earth and you think about yourself here, how can we, how can we uh, grovel in gross sin after we've been in the heavenly places? How can we do that happily? How can we do that unknowingly? How can we do that unconsciously? So this is a constant exhortation here in this world. Set your minds upon the things above not on the things of the earth. <clears throat> For you died and your life is hidden with Christ. Think of all the gospel sentences that talk about dying with Christ. And he said, if you, if you, if you believed in me, then you've died in me. You've risen again in me, you see. And so Paul is simply drawing your attention to these things. When Christ, verse 4, when Christ who is our life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. And so he speaks here of death and hiding in Christ. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Uh, Christ, there's a set calendar timetable, and Christ is going to return. Uh, he's going to return once. There is no secret rapture that takes place before his coming back. But when he does come back, we will be raptured. We will be resurrected with him. And we will appear with him in glory. Uh, the, the dead in Christ shall rise first, Paul says in the book of Corinthians. They will ride with him in glory. There, it will be a glorious thing when we 
uh, when our earthly bodies who have been fighting the good fight, when they are united with these bodies that come down from heaven, these heavenly bodies, and we are united and we are complete in him and our heavenly rest will begin. How glorious will that be? All of our trials will be over. All of our fulfillments will be here. We shall be with Christ and Christ will be with us. And we shall no longer have to fight like we fight today to overcome the flesh because he will have brought the victory from heaven down and it will be a glorious, glorious thing. And so he says in verse 6 and 7, uh, well, in verse, I'm sorry, in verse 5, he says, put to death your members which are on the earth. Now these are the parts of our body which cling uh, to the earth and our, our earthly existence. Um, it's, it starts with our tummies and our appetites and our mental minds and what they're interested in. Uh, but uh, you notice here that it quickly goes in verse 5, Paul quickly goes to the old killer, sexual sin, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Part of the problem in our presbytery right now is that they do not see, or we do not see, the danger and the toxicity to sexual sin. We do not see how it's focused on often in the Bible like it is here in Colossians chapter 3. Sexual sin, fornication, the uh, having a, a, a earthly mind or a, a carnal mind, um, these things are deadly. And so Paul says, uh, therefore put to death these things. Now, the fifth point here is that, is that there is a point and there's a place where murder, if you will, is good. Now, murder, rightly defined, is never good. But we talk about executing. Uh, there's a, you, uh, on the field of battle, you can, you can kill somebody, and it's an execution done in justice. That's different than a murder. Murder is where you're doing, you're kill, taking human life, and there's no good cause for it. But what Paul is, Paul is making the analogy here between the things of sin that ought to be executed, that ought to be killed in our lives. And so I'm just making a play on this that when murder is good, there's there's no time, strictly speaking, when murder is good. But there is. There are many places where execution and killing is good. And when we kill the flesh, when we kill these temptations that we have in our bodies to do evil, uh, to be selfish and covetousness and these kinds of things, then that is a good thing. And Paul says, verse 7, And would you yourselves once walked when you lived in them? There's no way that we can ever think that we as Christians were goody two-shoes or that we that God chose us because we were good. No, 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 no. God chose us because we needed to be good. God chose us because he loved us and he wanted us to be good. And so based upon that, he saved us. But Paul is very, he's re repetitive in this. I know when he deals with some of the great sins in Corinth, he says that after long lists of sins, he says, and such were some of you. Sometimes the church gets so uh, fake in its sanctification where it fails to see where it came from. So superficial in its sanctification, it forgets where it comes from, that we pretend that we were not where uh, the people of the world are. 
And the Lord would remind us that as, as gross and as evil as sin can be in this world, so were people in the church. That we walked in those same pathways. And that was why we needed Christ. And just because Christ has raised us up and we're doing better now in terms of our sanctification doesn't mean that we should forget where we came from or the fact that we have no grounds for pride in and of ourselves. I think it's really interesting, <clears throat> uh, uh, as Paul refers here to the sins of the flesh, especially to fornication, it's really interesting how in the book of Proverbs, uh, Proverbs gets into this very colorfully uh, in the, the third and the fourth ver uh, chapters. And um, he, well, the, four, the fourth and the fifth especially. And you'll notice how in chapter four of the Proverbs, chapter four, um, he talks, he starts talking about wisdom. And then in verse six, he gives wisdom the, the feminine pronoun so that it's translated uh, do not forsake her, that is wisdom. Do not forsake her, and she will preserve you. Love her, and she will keep you. Uh, wisdom is the principal thing. Uh, therefore, get wisdom. And in all of your getting, get understanding. Exalt her, and she will promote you. She will bring you honor when you embrace her. She will place on your head an ornament of grace, a crown of glory. She will deliver to you. Verse 13, keep her for she is your life. Well, then when it begins chapter 5, the very next the very next chapter, it uses the feminine again, but now we have the peril of adultery. And, and God in the Proverbs, he gives this especially as teaching to young men because they're going to be the heads of families. They're going to be the one with male sexual drives which have been, been, been kicked out of kink or out of harmony in the fall. And so Paul says in chapter 5, My son, pay attention to my wisdom. Lend your ear to my understanding. For the lips of an immoral woman to be drip honey. And her mouth is smoother than oil. You could not have somebody talking to adolescents with a more colorful language than this about the sexual temptation of youth. The lips of an immoral woman drip honey. Her mouth is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps lay hold of hell. Lest you ponder her path of life, her ways are unstable. You do not know them. Verse 8, remove your way from her. Do not get near the door of her house. So there's a love, this lovely coupling in the book of Proverbs early on. Listen to wisdom. Hear her. Stay away from this other feminine entity, another her, but uh, the, the her of Satan and of temptation and of seduction. There are two women, the Lord is saying. Fall in love with the one who is good. Renounce and kill the one that is evil in you, for the one will take you to death and the other will take you to life. It's, it's just a wonderful coupling here, or juxtaposition of, uh, of ideas that is in the book of Proverbs. 
that would call us forth. And, and Proverbs is all for our sanctification too. And so Paul here picks on the same on the same idea. Uh, he, he speaks of us being seduced by fornication, by uncleanness, passion, evil desire, covetousness. And he said, and once you yourselves walked when you lived in them. So we, we celebrate the Reformation today, and we see that justice, justification had so much to do with a rediscovery of the gospel and the Reformation. We see that sanctification also was affected by these things at the Reformation. Uh, what was the Roman Catholic Church all about? Alms, indulgences, masses, that is paying for masses, special masses for yourself or your loved ones, pilgrimages, lighting candles, saying prayers, paying the priest for candles and prayers. And you see how all of these things are things that we do that, are, that were marks of sanctification in the medieval world. You see what Luther did to that. He pushed all of that junk aside. And he said, seek Christ. Seek Christ and let his energies flow through you. And as his energies flow through you, you won't see a need for all of this junk, this garbage again in your life. And you'll be better off. Protestant people are happier. They're more sure. They're more hopeful. Because they're plugged into Christ. Not the Christ who is hanging upon the cross, but the Christ who was resurrected, the Christ who is above, the Christ who is working for them, even now representing them as perfect creatures before the Father who is in heaven. My exhortation to you today is stop thinking of yourselves as such losers. Stop listening to the accuser, the devil. Listen to the one who whispers in the Father's ear above, who has you above. Let yourself be sanctified. Give yourself over to sanctification. Seek the things that are above. Set your mind on the things which are above and grow in Christ. Push away the garbage. Go for the core. Go for the Lord. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, help us not to live as, as fallen sinners in this world, thinking that we gain points by groveling about our fallen natures. Throw off these things, O oh Lord. Help us to throw off these things. Help us to cast them aside. Help us to run and set our minds above and live with Christ above that we might be more earthly good here in this world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.